Welcome to Just Curious Media. This is Let's Talk Movies, and I'm Jason Connell. On the show today, I'm joined by special guest, Sean Kenny. Hello, Jason. Hello, Sean. So, as the listeners may or may not know, we're cousins. Actual biological cousins. Is this true? This is what they tell me. Yeah, this is, this is the rumor that our parents, You know, we put the, we put uh, the time us. in to prove it. I'd say that. That's true. And we're close enough in age that we went to high school together and we grew up big movie fans as well as many other things. So I knew when I launched this show, which is an offshoot or a spinoff of Let's Talk Cobra Kai, I knew that I would have you on. And if it goes well, I may have you on again. So today's movie, which we're covering, is Wall Street, the 1987 Oliver Stone crime drama which has a 7.4 rating on IMDb and a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. The movie came out December 13th, 1987. And Sean, I saw this movie in a little movie theater when my parents moved me to Cleveland, Oklahoma, a suburb, if you will, if you call it that, of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I remember it vividly. I remember seeing that movie and being so impacted by it. So I'm curious, when did you see it? Because we did not see this movie together. We did not. And that's impressive that you saw it in Cleveland when it came out. I mean, that's. Yeah. But me, I didn't see it till years that I recall, you know, so I'm going to go. You haven't seen it actually. Because, you know, when you see. (laughs) 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 Okay. Seeing it and having it affect me was probably 1993, I think. 93, maybe. Oh, okay. 93. Let's call it 93. So you're in college. I was in college and I was on Christmas break. And again, 93, you didn't have Netflix. You didn't have all the other stuff. You had VHS. DVDs weren't a thing. And one of my roommates had Wall Street. And I was staying in the house pretty much by myself, I think, that break. And I popped it in, and I must have watched it at least six times over break. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely has rewatchability, that's for sure. Because the thing was, it had coincided with, I had just finished a book called Insider Trading. It was written by a guy named Dennis Levine who got caught up in insider trading scandals of the 1980s along with Ivan Bosky and Michael Milken and the whole Drexel Burnham takedown. And, and it was similar subject matter. It was like kind of what the movie was sort of based after. So it was right after I finished that book and I was blown away by the book. And I just so happened to have this movie sitting on the shelf and I popped it in and that was that. So yeah. Wow. Let's go with Stuck 1993. With All right. Hey, that's cool. And it had a huge impact because you've seen it, I mean, maybe more than me. And I love this movie. So just to get some of the other things out of the way, the budget, which I doubt you know, but was 15 million. I mean, it's 1987 and the US gross. Now this number could be far outdated. I don't know, but IMDb has it at close to 44 million. By, you know, gross, U.S. gross. I'm sure it did more worldwide. And this is before Netflix and streaming numbers. So obviously it was a success. So that stacks well for back then? I, I wouldn't know. So 44 million gross is good. Well, off a $15 million budget, yeah. I what was it going up against? What was it going up again in Christmas of 87? What, Lethal Weapon maybe? And what else was going on out there? That's a really good question. I know I have a lot of data in front of me, but I don't have its competitors. But that's a great question. I think, yeah, Lethal Weapon 1 did come out in 87. And it's set so the Christmas time, so that's just first one that jumps out. But Yeah, no, that was – and that also did very well at the box office. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good question. I'll look that up 
I'll follow up with that. But just to give the listeners a little bit of insight of the movie, the synopsis is just a young and impatient stockbroker is willing to do anything to get to the top, including trading on illegal inside information taken through a ruthless and greedy corporate raider who takes the youth under his wing. Now, would you say that's a pretty accurate assessment of the movie? I just got this off IMDb, so. Yeah, I mean, kind of generic, but yeah, I'd say accurate. Yeah. And he goes through some low depths to acquire this uh, information, and oh, uh, which yeah. we can get into. But yeah, he wants to make the big bucks, bright eyed, down on Wall Street, putting all the hard work in, but not seeing much return. And he wants it fast. I and think he, and he, and he, you know, it's just it's this loss of innocence. So which is okay. I've always thought this. I know that I don't work in the financial sector and, and you do. And we'll kind of shed more light onto that for the listeners and everything. But I do look at this movie and I think that had to nail that time in our economy. So true. Yeah. So it's like Reaganomics and it's just greed and you got a young buck who yeah. wants to get there yesterday. He doesn't even want to earn it. He just right. wants to be there and live the life. And I feel like, well, this movie just encompasses that time, which is, it's no longer that way. And you can it's speak the to zeitgeist that. and he, and he has this altruistic sense about him until he runs into Gecko and Gecko lifts the veil and says, you know, yeah, this is how you make the money. Not the way you think you're going to do it. Not with your charts. <laughs> Yeah, right. Because really, he doesn't know anything. And I say, I would probably venture to say that a lot of people might not know anything, but they have the, I don't know, the fortitude or the staying power to be in the, it's got to be a tough game. And you can, again, you tell me the ups and downs of working in the stock market, it's got to just take its toll. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it can, I think a lot of that is a little bit uh, romanticized by media and whatnot, but yeah, you know, it's more, me. it's just, it's another day at work most of the time. It's just uh, a job. It's just it, a job. And it's not across the board. It's not the same thing for every company and every person. There's so many different roles down on, especially on the exchange floor. Yeah, there's wheeler and dealers and there's people that place big trades and then you got desks and they're hedging and you got hedge funds and everything else under the sun. So, but can it be stressful? Sure. But so can, you know, surgery or any other profession oh, out well, there. Yeah. You, any, you a lot of prof- a good one. Plenty of professions out there that can be just as stressful, if not more. Yeah, being a podcast producer, dude, stress. So stressful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I saw I saw what it took for us to get hooked up here. I mean, that oh, was, dude, that was the technology of this social distancing and, yeah. and doing remote podcasting. It's uh, yeah, it had to have you get a microphone and a new headphone. So I'm sorry. All right, so I was also reading that the inspiration for this movie, Oliver Stone really cited movies like Executive Suite, 1954, and The Sweet Smell of Success, 1957. Now, that predates kind of my movie knowledge, and I know a lot about movies, but you're I did talking not know 50s. That. And, yeah, so that's kind of, I mean, loosely and some other things too, but that was interesting. His father so, was a stockbroker. Yes, I heard that through the director's commentary. But I'm sure that Which probably I, played no role in, in inspiration for the, for the film. Yeah, no, I give my father no credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So one thing besides Oliver Stone being who he is, and I want to kind of touch on a few things where he was at in his career at this point in time, but he really nailed the cast. I just Mm got to say, Mm -hmm. I mean, Michael Douglas nails it as Gordon Gekko. And so much so that he went on to win a Golden Globe and an Oscar for Mm -hmm. Best Actor. Deservedly so. so. Exactly. Yes. It came out of nowhere. What did he really do before that? I know he was in some big films, Romancing the Stone and this and that, but for this role, it kind of came out of nowhere, right? 
Right. I mean, I remember him growing up from a great TV show called The Streets of San Francisco, and I liked him immediately, him and Carl Malden. And then he went on to do, like you said, Romancing the Stone. And he was also doing China another Syndrome. big movie. China Syndrome. I mean, this is, oh, China Syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. But right, this is when he was peaking and he was also shooting, which I, I want to talk about in the trivia later. He was shooting Fatal Attraction at the same time oh, I was making this yeah, movie. Yeah. So he was in, like, this is in his sweet spot. Like, mm -hmm. this is the Michael Douglas on the top of his game. Pete Douglas. Yeah. And then you have Charlie Sheen, who now he had worked with Oliver Stone in the movie prior in Platoon. So it was easy to bring him on board. And obviously he did a great job in this role. And then you sprinkle in a little Martin Sheen, great casting, father-son combo. You have John C. McGinley, who was also in Platoon. Yeah. Hal, Hol yeah. Hal Holbrook is amazing. James Karen, James Spader, and Terrence Stamp. I mean, the only one I'm really not going to probably do back. Hal Holbrook? Is Isn't Hal Holbrook is in the movie? Oh, yeah. Old timers? I said Hal Holbrook. Oh, you, you already said, said that. Sorry. That's all right. No, no, you're right. Though. Yeah, he's amazing. And I wouldn't necessarily do backflips for Daryl Hannah, but, you know, he wanted a pretty girl in there. Maybe that was a role that you could have considered someone else. That might have been the weakest role in the whole yeah. lineup. After many, after many years of reflecting on that, it was just such a money business trading yeah. forward movie and then you had a love interest in there so i think that took away from daryl hannah and maybe part of the reason why he's kind of and i feel the same way you know yeah if there was one like, weak link in the cast if you want to call it a weak link it would probably be her but i think it was more to do with the movie than her i agree and they didn't get bogged down with that love story it was just there it was more to show what how bud was changing how charlie shane's character was mm -hmm. changing less than getting to know daryl hannah and that's why she was okay serviceable sure it was also just the role mm -hmm. it was a, a small role so as far as oliver stone just to reflect on him very quickly he had already won two oscars by this point in time he oh, yeah. wrote the screenplay for midnight express and won the best screenplay mm -hmm. and then he won for best director for platoon which also won best picture so here's a guy that could have done anything he wanted to do mm -hmm. and he made wall street so he would also later go on to win another oscar for jfk best director so we're talking about a very intelligent prolific filmmaker for sure peak stone too maybe arguably sure why not yeah, bringing absolutely. home the hardware every other year. He's bringing home the hardware. So platoon into Wall Street. Yeah, peaking. Everyone's peaking. Was Charlie Sheen peaking? Come on, what did he do after? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he did no, the, the one, the car ride one, where he's with the girl going down to Mexico. After that, and then he lived on the beach in Malibu. Show and Two he and did and Young Guns. Was that what it was called? The Western. Yeah, but he was a small role in that. Right. It was more Emilio's show. So I'm just gonna go ahead and throw Sheen into the mix of peak at yeah. that time as well. Martin Sheen didn't peak because he's no. just always steady at it. Yeah, you know for sure that guy. Yeah, that guy's the and Terrence Stamp. Wow, oh, he's amazing. Marvin the wait, yeah. which one was Terrence Stamp? I forget. Sir Larry Wild. Oh yeah, Terrence Stamp. Yeah, definitely. And then James Spader is always just always. Great. <laughs> so yeah, I mean <laughs> he got these guys to play these small roles. They're like legends. So I mean that's great casting. Terrence Stamp, I can't believe I didn't remember that one. I know exactly. The Limey. Oh, absolutely the Limey. So yeah. Robert Richardson was the cinematographer, and he, in his own right, has won three Oscars, JFK, The Aviator, and Hugo. So you got Oliver Stone movies. He worked for Scorsese. And his other credits, check this out, include Platoon, 
Born on Fourth of July, mm. Casino, Kill Bill One and Two, and Glorious Bastards, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now that's an impressive resume. <laughs> that guy, I would say he hasn't peaked. He, that guy's out of control. That's a guy I could hang, could stand to hang around with for a couple hours. Dude, he's working with the legends. Yeah. At, at, well done, sir. Yeah. Mr. Richardson. And so now into the soundtrack. I love Stuart Copeland from The Police. And of course, so he great. composed the movie. Yeah. Wonderful job. And then you've got some nice little songs in here, as I know you, you know. know hold you on, have- Jason. I didn't know that Stuart Copeland composed the, the movie. I didn't know that. I'm ashamed oh, to yeah, say. He, I didn't know he's that. He's composed a lot and he did this. I know movie. he it's has composed a lot. I, and that's what I know who he is and what he, you know, a lot of what he's done, but I, just, I didn't know that one. Cause that was, that's pretty early on. I mean, I know post police, but yeah, you know, yeah, now, now it makes sense, right? Yeah. He, he did the, you know, he composed uh, it. For some reason, I thought David Byrne and talking heads kind of had a role or something, or maybe well, we'll wrote that. some scores or something. I thought maybe well, he yeah, some of that, but. Anyway. Well, speaking of him, there was an amazing, probably my favorite to this day, besides Road to Nowhere, it's got the great classic Talking Heads song, This mm-hmm. Must Be the Place, Naive Melody. And so that's the David Byrne reference right there. Also, the movie starts with and has a second appearance of it, Frank Sinatra's classic Fly Me to the Moon. Mm-hmm. And you may or may not know this, but it's got two Stan Getz songs in it, Dasa Finata and Quiet Nights of Quiet Stars, Corcovada. And both were created by Antonio Carlos Jobim. Get out of here. Get out of here. You had a, you sat on that secret for this podcast, didn't you? You sat <laughs> oh, on that. Didn't that. You with that didn't you? When I did my research, I was like, oh, <laughs> he's going to love this. Oh, wow. Now I'm going to have to go down in that rabbit hole later. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, just so everyone knows, we are really big uh, Latin jazz fans, Bossa Nova, in particular, Antonio Carlos Jobim and Cal Jader fans, among others. But I had no idea he had those songs in this movie. What until I scene movie. is the is Sting? Is it when he's sitting on the balcony and he's wondering what's going on or is it I can't think of the scene oh, where those are playing. I'm going to have to cue those up. But as soon as you go back there, you're like, oh my God, it's so obvious. There's a score and it's not Copeland. It's a track. And you may have thought it was the composer initially, but you're going to have to give us a second or a hundredth viewing after we finish this podcast. Yeah. Good bit of trivia there. Yeah. So here we go. So we're going to go kind of through the scenes, beat by beat of this movie, for good or for bad, because even a great movie has some throwaway scenes. And then you, being an expert in the financial sector, could probably shed some light on some things. Well, more of an expert than me. So we start with an amazing opening montage of New York City, waking up with the shots of people coming on and off the subway, people hitting the busy streets, the fish the market, twin towers, fish market. And it reminds me a little bit of that classic film, Kwanisquatsi, which I love that movie, the Coppola produced movie with, uh, you know, humans and fast moving. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Don't if you know haven't, it. I highly recommend it. It's more of an art piece than a movie. But I huh. just love the way we set this tone early. We know where we are and we're, you know, we're in. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, Frank Sinatra is playing. So it's like, wow, I'm already in. I'm, I'm hooked. Yeah. Captures I'm sure you it. feel the same way. Captured because this, he's on the subway. He's got the life. Wall, he's got the Wall Street Journal folded four times. He's got his hand on the strap. It's crowded. <laughs> Sinatra's yes. blowing. He's going to work. He's going to conquer the universe. 
And he's right. Because you used to live this life. Your first job in the market was in New York City. You went Once. to the financial Once. district. I was so, a, I was on the down on the floor of the American Stock Exchange in the options part of it. And yeah, I was, was a, that I mid nineties. Yeah, mid to late nineties. I was a clerk. And so you took the subway. I'm assuming, and it was you never so glamorous. Is never so glamorous as that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably. I was not. taking coffee orders at one point. But well, I love how we get to work and how with this young associate, Bud Fox, played by Charlie Sheen, he seems to like show up late. Like the place is bustling and young Fox just shows up. Just I know that they did it to probably establish the scene, which is great because you kind of see he's not in the pits of Wall Street. He's in an office building. Sure. But it's just crazy. It's, it's, a, like trading, it's a trading floor, you know, all floor trading floor for a wire house. But you know, and I think Stone was just trying to show, look, this is, and they kind of got it too. I mean, that was what was going on. There was order flow is what it's called. There was paper being traded and a lot of money coming in and a lot of retail clients and institutionals. Yeah. And they were smiling, dialing, as they say. And yeah, those floors were busy back then. They still are today, but that was a great look at what he did. And I think I saw, I can't remember, it might've been on the DVD or something, how they constructed that thing. Whole straw brought in consultants like the computers. I think they rented out a floor or something. I don't remember, but that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. it was pretty authentic. And I would, uh, I go back now when I'm watching the movie, even for these notes. And having made a documentary about movie extras, I'm constantly so interested in what's going on. So now I don't even look at Bud anymore. I'm watching everything around there. Yep. I also it's say kind this, of amazing, Jason. Let me say this too. Yep. So you know when he's walking in the office. And he, he greets the secretary. They make their little, I don't know if they're flirting, whatever you want to call it. They obviously oh, yeah. have some kind of repertoire going on every morning. And he yeah. goes down the thing and, and he's talking to whoever and he's skinning high fives and how are you and what are you doing? And, you know, he's working his way over to his section on the desk. But did yeah. you notice how each one of those people were a different character? Oh, absolutely. The slick guy on the phone they're, who they, was you like, know, and you know, that's, vacationing. But that's so true from what I remember yeah. being down on the floors and being around all those people. Just the different characters, like there were no two same people, you know, and larger than life characters in a lot of times. But, you know, got that for sure. Absolutely. And I even like how that scene segues into the opening bell shot. And I've read yeah. that Stone had 45 minutes to actually shoot at the New York Stock Exchange, which he used throughout the movie. But that's like real footage, not mm -hmm. cast. Mm -hmm. They went down there and they got it. And you could speak to it. It's pretty authentic to me as a layman to what that would look like. I didn't know he had 45 minutes, but for only 45 minutes, he captured a lot. I mean, he, he drove the point home. Yeah. Yeah. For that. So props. So is that how it works, Sean? You have to cover a loss if there's a bad client? Because that opening scene, that's kind of what's happening to him. Is that spot on or is that is that movie magic? Uh, you know, that never happened to me, but <laughs> I don't know how that might have worked. And, you know, that was the 1980s, but I can't imagine that. Like, it's coming. That's crazy, life. right? You know, and, but I will say he DK'd me. What is DK? Talk to me. I don't know what this thing is. He didn't know the trade when he bought the option. They took a bath. And that is true. We actually had a thing on the exchange floor. There was a section of the floor in the back called the DK room where, you know, it's a bunch of back oh, office yeah. paper pushers that's tracking down busted trades all day long. And I did a little bit of that as well for a while. Okay. But normally you have a clearing broker and a clearing house and they're guaranteeing trades and you're putting money up. So I, I can't imagine that. 
I'm not it was, not saying it didn't happen back then. Maybe it did. Maybe that was something what these brokers signed up to do. You know, they had to sign. Either way, if it was true or not, it really worked in the movie. It kind of raised the stakes. Yeah. You know? And I, you know, so whatever. I mean, sometimes they have to embellish. That had to be it. for the audience because I would imagine they would have been motivated enough. You incur enough losses and DKs, you're going to be out the door anyway. Yeah, so exactly. They don't need to take your pay when you're not making anything but commissions anyway is what they were implying in the movie. So, yeah. So I love how Marvin played by John C. McGinley, who's amazing. But his line about the space shuttle has a little bit of a flaw, if you remember, the horrific accident that took place in 1986. But if you remember, the movie opens with a 1985 stamp on it. So that was a little... Right. Timing was off on that, but whatever, we'll let it go. But it was just like, wait a second, that doesn't add up. But also, you know what, also, hey, and Jason... I'm pretty sure NASA is not a public company, so you can't trade NASA stock when he says he's on the phone selling NASA short 10 minutes after the space shuttle blew up. You can't sell NASA short because it doesn't even trade as a stock. So it's a government body. It's not a it's not a stock. <laughs> All right. So now we're at the Owl Tavern, which I've got to assume is a real place because it's just so why wouldn't it be? Right. And you've got Sheen and Sheen. And I love this. You see the brilliance of Martin Sheen in this scene. And Jason. Yes. Go ahead, set it up. Set it up, because I want to make a comment about this. Well, this is also where you get the inside intel on Blue Star. So, I mean, I'm just setting up the stage. Mm-hmm. So, please, uh, chime in. Could it be any more blue collar? Oh, no. This, this is a blue any? collar. <laughs> we could be in Pittsburgh for all I know. Could it be the I, yang I, to the Wall Street yang? <laughs> Yeah. As far as I know, Martin Sheen is a steel worker in this scene. He does not work yeah. for an airline. Right. You know, yeah. Not quite I love a coal miner. Not a coal there. miner, steel worker for sure. But yeah, yeah it's oh, just, yeah. it is dripping blue collar. It's great. All of his buddies are there. And obviously you get a lot of exposition in the scene. You learn that, well, this is his father who works for the airline. He used to work there as a kid and yeah. baggages and whatever. Sure. He grew up around a guy that his job. father was in the airline. Yeah. yeah. You know, Those guys were like so family. he knows all the guys. Yeah. They're like family. They're like, hey, yeah, totally. And he's now he's too good for them. He's not too good for them per se, but he wants nothing to do with nothing. the airline. Right. He wants to be a big dog in Manhattan. A player. A player. He wants to be a player. And I love how they go, you know, his dad's trying to give him some money. And he's like, no, nah, dude, not, don't do it. Not here, outside. <laughs> I don't want anybody to see. No, he's like, giving I me. Like he does it too. He's like, Jesus, dad, not in here. It's so <laughs> spot on. Because you know that probably happened in real life at some point in time with those two. Oh, yeah. It's great. Right. It's great. And so I love the sequence. It says it all. I mean, you see how hardworking and a man of principle Martin Sheen is, mm-hmm. and you see how his son wants to make the fast mm-hmm. buck. It just it says it all without saying that much. He it's supports wonderful. his son, but he doesn't understand the decisions he's making. Yeah. Move home with me and mom. What you'll say. Be content. Like, oh. be content <laughs> with working, you know, be content with that whole the, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Great. It's great. I love it. And now we cut to, and I love this shot, by the way. The next shot is Bud's naked sleepover guest. No yeah. lines. Yeah. Just a naked woman getting up, she didn't dismissing need herself. She needed no lines nope. because she's completely naked and attractive. And then Bud goes to his computer. And Sean, could it be any more 1980s computer? <laughs> <laughs> Could that, it's almost, I think we used that computer in high school yeah. or not, not even in middle school. That, uh, and, yeah. The calendar or was it? 
Oh, it's Gecko's birthday. Do you remember the the day? Ooh, so I do not. November? It just happened. It literally just happened. It did? May 6th, but it was 1985. So yeah, Gecko's birthday in the movie. May 6th. Okay. We should have recorded this on May 6th. Well, that would have been good. So Bud Show's initiative... And oh, I guess I'm coming out of that scene. If you have something else to add about the computer, we can stay there for a second. So no, just I can't remember if the charts came up, but I do remember the calendar and it, I remember that he had the time schedule. He had his daily oh, yeah. planner out, is what it was. Can't write down the daily planner on a piece of paper in 1985. You got to put it on the um, first generation and, and floppy. You know, yeah. <laughs> I re- I was a really early adopter to computers, and I know you were too. I had the Commodore 64, and oh, sure. you had like a Tandy, and well, mm-hmm. I remember like learning on it because we're young mm-hmm. and but i remember the limitations as well mm-hmm. it was kind of like war games i thought well what else can i do and i remember getting programs like that in like middle school high school mm-hmm. like you know put your calendar on here and i remember thinking it takes me an hour yeah. to put some basic things in. and here. you were like this is not good and you were like 13 so dude i was I, exactly what's bud fox uh, doing yeah he doesn't know what he's doing it, it makes for a great shot in a movie yeah, I wonder if it's and like so, it's a prop. I'm thinking Stone threw that in yeah. there. Kind of like this is the 1985 and the world's changing. The world's changing. The world's changing. Yeah. No longer he, yeah, he, no longer paper planners. You got to go on the floppy disk to plan things. <laughs> floppy disk. Love it. Yeah. So now Bud shows initiative and he's taking Gecko a present. And this is a great story device too. You see, it's his birthday. That's what I like about movies. They set these little nuggets up early that just start to pay off. And this is good screenwriting. You know, it's his birthday. It's a great Bud's scene, by the way, that. that you're unfolding here. The setup yeah. where he goes, he's going to the King Solomon's mine up there. This is everything. Exactly. The art on the wall. He's got the secretary. He's got the fantasy furniture. You can hear him talking behind the door. Well, because he's already called Gecko's office in the earlier scene, right. which we didn't talk about, but he does call and try to. So the audience already knows like, OK, this guy's been knocking on the door. Now it's mm-hmm. Gecko's birthday. Who's going to turn a guy showing up with gifts? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, come on in. But what I loved is that, again, Bud Fox, this associate, skips out on work, has a little a little side venture. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a guy that's you know, he's doing his own little he's thing. He's going the extra yard. <laughs> He hey, and he's going after the elephant too. He wants to bag the elephant. He's not going after oh. mid range. Like he's going big and he's you know, yard. and another thing about that scene again is how it's short, but boy, if you don't walk away from that scene going, I can't wait to meet this gecko guy. Like he, exactly. the expectations are well, really high after that scene. And think about it. We, as an audience, we don't even know what gecko looks like. We do know that, Michael Douglas plays him. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't seen the movie yet, and trust me, there are people in the world, youngsters or people that miss it who haven't seen this movie yet. So you don't know what Gecko is. And finally, Bud sits there all day long, neglecting his work, and they got him five minutes with Gecko, right? Mm-hmm. Five minutes. Mm-hmm. And if you watch that scene, which we're about to talk about, that scene, as soon as Bud enters the door and as soon as he exits, it's Literally, Mm -hmm. you could do a stopwatch to it. It's actually five minutes Mm. in real time. So Oliver Stone took five minutes to do it. It's kind of cool. It really delivered on the five minutes. But he comes in with cigars and here's Gecko in this infamous scene because it's even portrayed in the movie Boiler Room. They're like watching. If yeah, the Boiler, right. Boiler Room is yeah. also a great movie. It came out in 2000. It's really worth seeing. It's not Wall Street level, but it's really fun and enjoyable. And they're all watching yeah. it. 
And then they're voicing, you know, Gecko's lines, which is fantastic. So, I mean, this is a great sequence. You see Gecko on the phone, working it. He doesn't even know what Fox as is if, at as first. If, as if Bud Fox isn't nervous enough to begin with. <laughs> right. Here he is on the big stage, and, and Gecko is just putting on a show. He's got the EKG monitor. He's shouting buying cell orders in. He's telling Fat Ollie to kill everybody on the street. He's got lawyers involved. He's talking mergers and acquisitions. And here's Bud Fox. Terminator. Bud Fox is going to pitch him on some uh, dogs with fleas, as he says. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. What does Bud have other than ambition and puts himself out there and a present? He has nothing. He's not this great trader, but I'll give him. He's got chutzpah. He's got tenacity, but he's not something that is going to service Gecko. And he sees through it in five seconds mm-hmm. until... Until <laughs> he sells At his that soul one moment, to it the just takes devil. a second. It takes one second. You got anything else? Thank for God. Me? Thank God I met Pops at the Owl Tavern. Yeah, the I got before. a little nugget last night. I got a hot stock tip and a pocket full of cash from Pops last night. I got something for you. And I'm sure we've all been there in life where it's like, God, I'm finally right here at meeting someone that I admire. We've all been there at some point in our life. And I've even been there myself and been like, oh, what have I got for this person? You know, and I didn't sell my soul, but we've all been there like, oh, yeah, it's they're not that interested in me yet. Why are they interested in me? You know, so that was that's it. He talks about Blue Star antenna goes up on Gecko and you just know right then and there, probably not good. This guy's a corporate raider. I don't know what you knew initially, but I just knew this probably wasn't a good thing. You know, I got to say, this probably speaks a lot of my character, unfortunately. But I was like, <laughs> I was like, go Fox. I mean, it, I you was not taken aback by that at all. I was like, because I think I probably would have done the same thing. I'm sorry. I mean, well, did that, most people would yeah. in that situation. This is your you got one a hot shot. stock. The, Here's your moment. And the it. door's right there. This is it. Know? Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to hit a home run and, and you want to get in good and. You came in naive thinking that guy like Gecko, hard work and bootstraps got him up in that office, but it wasn't. No. Hard lesson in life. No. So Bud goes back to the office and then he gets the call. And this is when the movie just starts to like speed up. He gets the call, it's Gecko, and he's bagged the elephant. Correct. And? But. Go ahead. He walks in the office a little dejected, more than just a little. Like he's crushed because he knows what he did. <laughs> but I no, I think he's crushed because he thinks he felt he flopped, not because he sold. He gave him a hot tip on Blue Star because he's surprised when he gets the phone call to buy Blue Star. I think he's more like, oh, I because he remember what he said. Did he see you? Yeah, he saw right through me. Maybe that means you know he was able to shake out a tip, but he didn't know that his dad worked for the airlines and all that stuff. I'm just saying he walked into the. Back to his office. Oh, he was de- he was dejected for sure. But I didn't. He, but I was like, were you like me? I'm like, why is this guy dejected? I mean, he sat toe to toe and he pitched him a stock, and you knew something was getting ready to come on. So I think he felt like a fraud. I almost think he thought that Gecko would see him as a kindred spirit or something. Like, yeah. hey, this guy's uh, he's after it, and he saw right through him and said, "What do you got?" And he knows. He just stumbled into this. Interesting. Yeah. Without this, he's out the door. And what's he got lined up? So I think he was deflated. Our egos have all taken a hit from time to time. And yeah. he got the call. So he was inspired. Of course, he gets a chance. Right. And so it brought him right back. That's and, an interesting you know. perspective, Jason. And once he gets the phone call, he's super excited whether he pitched him Blue Star or not. He's not looking yeah, back at it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because it's all about can, the bucks he can, then. He can go to bat again. Yeah. And so now they go to lunch, which is great. At the 21 because, Club. 
But lunch is for Wimp, so I don't know why they went to lunch, but I didn't see Gecko eat either. So he's in there for a quick drink and uh, meet Bud, and he gives him what? What does he give him, Sean? He he gives lunch? him a plate of raw meat with an egg on it, but he also gives him a check. Now, here's the thing. I yeah. still don't know how much that check is for. One million dollars. Is it one million or ten million? I think it's one million. Okay. I'm disappointed because the way he's shocked, like, oh, my God, a million dollar check. Because Has he ever seen anything like that before? Well, that would be chump change to Gecko, even in 87. And I've even paused the frame, blew it up several times trying to figure out, is it $10 million or is it $1 million? Oh, you know what? We might have to do a deeper dive on that. Because, because you know, we I, could probably go. I, in my notes, I wrote $1 million, but I figured it was a starter fluid for him. Hey, get going. We'll see what you do. But you're right. Hey, we you could know more maybe this, find out the price of Blue Star. We could go back and find out the price of Blue Star. What do you start out? Why buying 5,000 or 10,000 shares of Blue Star and yeah, do the math? Right. We could reverse see. engineer it. And he said, put, yeah. did he say put a couple hundred thousand in those Bow Wow stocks that you pitched? and some mutual funds yeah. spread it around or something. I don't remember exactly. And then go, and then go to my tailor and <laughs> go see this guy. Morty Sales. <laughs> Morty Sales. <laughs> I think that was his name or something. But no, I think it was $10 million, Jason. I'd like to Okay, I'm out. not going to argue with you. I, I prefer it to be $10 million. I hope it's $10 million. So at this lunch with Gecko and Fox, what do we find out about Blue Star? They're exonerated. So Gecko looks at Bud in a way that, hey, he's got some answers, this yeah. guy. He can right. be it's had. Scene. It's a big moment. I think he's maybe thinking like he can definitely be had at this point. He gave me a good tip. This kid's hungry. He was willing to compromise his dad. So for sure. So Gecko's yeah. got himself a little pupil, a project, if you will. Because your opinion is what? Is that Gecko wants to get this kid doing insider trading? Is that his plan from him all along? I mean, he just seems like a transactional guy. And if you can, and this is how I do business. So. I mean, he kind of he proves it out in the in the movie. Yeah, you go out and get me the information any way necessary. Surprise me, is what I think is what he says. Yeah. So now we go back to Bud's apartment. I'm telling you, this guy's two for two. He had the the hottie from the night before, and this time, young Lisa shows up. Oh yeah. And let me just say, Sean, it pays to work for Gecko wow. because they don't stay in Bud's apartment. They drive around Central Park, mm-hmm. New York. She's an escort, and they're doing blow and. Yeah. A lot of things are happening in Bud Fox's world. Yeah. Is that pretty accurate? What it was like to be a trader in the mid eighties to your knowledge? <laughs> I can't speak of any of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you've heard some. Uh, I was analyzing uh, charts at night, you know, no, it was, there was plenty of wild things going on, but. Well, you weren't there in the mid eighties. Oh no, I wasn't. I wasn't, but yeah. I saw things in the 10 years later in the nineties, but yeah, she knocks on the door. They get in the limo, get dressed. We're going to whatever club. Yeah, you know, it's so great. They're doing blow. So He's giving her stock tips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now this is the high and low of the stock market because now we're in the office and this is probably something you've dealt with mm. after a great day. The next day, market not so good. Oh, you know, and Marvin, the mind re- reader, says it best at the end of the day. He's like, he, we sure went down the tubes on that ugly bitch or whatever he says. Uh, <laughs> and I can't tell you the number of times like people sit around like, and the general public or paper, if we call it order flow, puts derivatives traders a lot of times, market makers in these positions they just don't want to be in, they can't get out of. So they're just trying to, uh, at some point, you're just at the mercy of the market and she's just a cruel bitch. I'll put it this way. It feels a lot worse having a shitty day than on the days when you make a lot of money, at least from what I remember. 
Are the lows more painful than the highs uh, elation? Yeah, it's almost like you were trying to a lot of times avoid the, you know, I mean, losses are losses. I mean, but yeah, it's just that scene. I felt the frustration. And he gets the call. So that day, this market's like, it can't end soon enough. Exactly. It's a shitty day. <laughs> exactly. And then he gets the call. It's like, Gecko's looking for you. And it's like, oh, man. And if it can't get worse, he's got to go face Gecko and lose in squash. So it's just like, this is just like, yeah. even when you have a bad day, you got to go answer to the man. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to have to explain myself. Yeah, what happened there? I thought you knew stuff, right. John Fox. <laughs> right. So in my opinion, when I watched this scene, I think Bud's an exceptional hustler, but not a great broker. Would you agree? I don't know what makes a great broker, but he's definitely but hustled. Bud's not one of them. But <laughs> <laughs> not living in that apartment with that computer he wasn't apparently, but he was a hard worker. For sure. But he has to cross the lines to keep Gecko interested. Absolutely. That we know. Yeah. And that's obvious. And he tells him, you know, get me something. He throws him out. I love that scene where he's in the limo yeah. and he's, he's just laying it on him. Like this is right after they play squash and then they get cleaned up at the great looking club, of course, mm -hmm. which I like that Gecko talks about how he couldn't be a member. And mm -hmm. now he's in that, you know, I like that scene in the locker room. What's his name? Like, Hey, Georgie, how's Larchmont treating you? <laughs> yeah. You do any business on that one deal? So, you know, just, I don't know. Love that. How's Larchmont? Hey, how's Larchmont treating you? <laughs> It's a great scene. <laughs> then he closes the it's thing and he gets back to the evil gecko. But something about that scene too, which goes back to Bud Fox, is that he's a little naive. Because like he's showing up to that club going, I'm going to have to explain these losses, but man, I'm going to show him what a good worker I am. So he's kind of taken aback in that limo ride when Gecko lowers the boom on him. Let me show you my charts. Like I can get in trouble for that. Just completely taken aback by, you know. Very naive. Very naive. What did he do? What do we know about Bud Fox? We know that he worked at his father's airline. And when I say father's airline, he's got airline, a good father. You know, father doesn't, his father doesn't own it. His father's a hard worker. Right. And, and so Bud comes from a good, yeah, he comes from a good he's family. He's blue collar. Yeah. He was there working. Mm -hmm. He saw what they did and said, I don't want to do that, but I, I know how to yeah. move ahead and I'm a hard worker. Mm -hmm. Gecko could give a crap about no. that. Bud Fox, what can you do for me? Bud Fox has some morals. You know, he's got a good father. You hear yep. about the mother. She makes lousy spaghetti, but she's probably a great mother. And he comes from a right. family and this and that. But yeah, he did have no part of the airlines. And I want to go down to Wall Street and make a buck. Yep. So, and I like the scene. So that, yeah, it's in the limo where he knows to keep Gecko interested in him. He's got to have more blue stars. Yes. And so this leads to the next scene because he agrees. He says, all right, you got me. So now Gecko's got his mark. He knows what Bud Fox is. Now he can mm -hmm. count on him. And now so great. we see Bud. It's great. It's this like, great. I mean, this movie, this the beats great. are great. It's like, oh, wow. Now he's in this mode. And now we see Sir Wildman and Bud's intel begins to pay off. Mm -hmm. He's following. I don't know if you want to speak to the scene. Like he's following well, him yeah, around. It's kind of what's going on. The movie's starting to ramp here too. This is when like yep. it's got its teeth in me, you know, the audience, but especially that scene after the limo scene. Because now you're like, okay, the gloves are off. School is out and business is business. So yeah, he's on his motorcycle. Where'd the motorcycle come from? Bud Fox actually has a motorcycle, which is probably a hot, cool little motorcycle back then. It looked like a fancy Probably motor. was his. Yeah. Who? I mean, Sheen's. Yeah, that's what I'm Sheen's thinking. for all we know. I think it was Sheen's. Yeah. yeah. So he's showing a little ingenuity. 
you know, yep. oh, if I'm going to follow this guy around, I got to get in and out of traffic. Maybe he rents the motorcycle. We don't know, but he's, well, he can't afford probably a car and parking in Manhattan, but he's got a bike stash somewhere. Maybe so it he borrowed sense. it. Maybe he borrowed it from a friend because he's like he's got to be mobile to to follow Sir Larry Wildman around the city. But yeah, I love it. He's outside. He's eating the hot dog and throwing the trash in the basket and walks into the lay circus and then he goes to the where well, the plane took off and like acts like he missed his boss to find out where the plane was going he's shown hell of Very, initiative in ingenuity in improvising that's where his strength is and yep. what's he get he, he gets a sure thing he starts spreading it around the office mm-hmm. and go ahead and say what it is i like when the light bulb goes off though it's teledar steel oh no sorry it's anacot steel Exactly. Yeah, but and but I like the yep. phone call with Gecko though. Once let's roll the dice and play a little Monopoly. GG, where's Sir Larry Wildman gonna land on the Monopoly oh, board in Erie, Pennsylvania? Great. Jesus Christ, he's going after Anacott Steel. <laughs> or I don't know the exact so line, but good. the light bulb goes off and now Charlie Sheen is all geeked out and ready to go. He's in. Yep. He's exactly. In. And Lou from the office mm-hmm. comes in Warren's bud. He can kind of see some kids on the fast track. <laughs> he's going around, you know, like there's a warning yeah. sign. These guys, these old timers have seen, seen these guys come and go. Yeah. And there's a nice montage coming up with all the beats and the Anacott still. And you got a cameo from the director, mm-hmm. Oliver Stone, mm-hmm. which is nice. And check pretty the, funny. They say, check the arbs. You know what, the, you know what an arb is? Arbitrage. That was a, thing of the 80s nice yeah we don't need to get no i did not know that we don't need to get in a finance lesson but it's kind of kind of they did their homework to throw that out and a lot of those guys were caught up in the whole insider trading scandals of the 1980s arbitrageurs which is a fancy way of saying you can buy the same product in two different markets at two to buy ibm for fifty dollars in philadelphia and sell it in new york for fifty dollars and fifty cents and make a fifty cent spread instantaneous okay okay wow but these guys were doing more the arbs were more like risk arbitrage was like takeover deal stocks where there was still a spread between the company being bought and the acquiring company and there's options in play and there's some it's called risk arbitrage because the width of the spread is sort of a gauge of the risk whether the deal is going to close or not and there's a lot of really brilliant people that ran those desks back then you know for the big banks that could you know brilliant people as a matter of fact carl icon was involved in that game and he did it with options and that's how he kind of got a start in that whole business i don't know if you know who carl icon is yeah of course kind of one of those corporate raiders of the 1980s well so was uh t boone pickens from oklahoma state fan. yeah he was but he wasn't in the risk arbitrage in he was just more I'm no gonna go, he was corporate raider yeah, he was a corporate raider but, but it's funny that oliver stone throws out let's check the arbs because you know most commoners aren't going to know what every what an arb is and or that it stands for risk arbitrage and he did his homework to throw that in there which i thought was pretty cool is that something like a, you would have on a t-shirt Check the arbs. If you want to eat your ass beat. <laughs> yeah. No, but. Are that a bumper sticker on your Porsche? What's that? Is that a bumper sticker on oh, your Porsche? It's a vanity plate. <laughs> Check the arbs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're gonna get your, I'm going to key your car if I see that. No, it, it's just kind of cool that he threw that in there. And, and that was little things like that when I read about them. Not this movie, but I would read about risk arbitrage, especially in that book that I mentioned earlier. That's what really set my light bulb off for uh, trading yeah. at Wall Street and all that stuff because there was an ability back then, especially before computers took everything over, that, man, in certain situations, if you knew what you were doing, there was bags of money free or relatively risk-free to uh, go out and get. Wow. 
comparable. I'm saying just for a, a market maker down in the options pits, when two companies would get taken over or stock became hard to borrow and, and the premium levels on the puts got out of whack and we had market maker exemptions and there was a, we had a lot of built-in advantages that we could take advantage of yeah, and make some coin, you know, never like the big guys, but getting back to Oliver Stone and let's check the arms. I thought, Oh, how cool is that? You know, and it's like if anybody's like a geek of that stuff, like me, you're automatically going to arms. Let's see what who the arms are, you know. So I love it, yeah. And then that montage, yeah, the split screen, and they show the floor. Well, a lot of that film is predicated on insider trading and the scandals and all that stuff. And he's showing how these two bit arbitrageurs, you know, like the Ivan Boskis of the world in real life, who were. They held themselves a fancy title, but all they were doing was dealing on insider information, you know. Right. So when he shows that scene like chatter, let's let's what are the arms chattering about? I take it and bid it. I own a position, you know, they're spreading rumors, you know, like bidding stocks up, spreading yeah. rumors and under the guise of a fancy title being a risk arbitrageur. So kind of goes in with the theme of the movie about the insider trading and stuff like that. And then the scene on the stock exchange with the specialist and the market makers and the $2 brokers, and he nails it. Absolutely. And you you know that, but to me, I was convinced. It's very authentic, yeah. grounds the movie in realism, and I don't question it. I'm not questioning any of it. Yeah, don't question it. He nailed it. I'm telling you, he, he nailed it. And he had the real specialist, and, and then, you know, I read about or saw where the guy was a real specialist on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. The guy in the, in the crowd with the jacket saying, what yeah. do you have for me? You know, he wanted to know what his size. Oh, yeah. And, you again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that was just so authentic. For those yeah. scenes, and, and you know, I was an options trader down the street on the American Stock Exchange, but it was still a specialist system. It was the same deal, you know. Yeah. There's just more people in the crowd than brokers standing around. There were market makers and traders in the crowd, but trust it, he was right. He nailed it on that one. He sure did. And I'm so, not going to bore you or your audience with the mechanics on what's really going on. It's our audience, but it's just but an, it's okay. an auction market, so that's okay. You've already bored them. It's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so here we are. Now we're going to Gecko's home. And I like this scene because a lot's going on and we get to meet Darian Taylor, Daryl Hannah, and Kate Gecko, Sean Young, mm. who, by the way, were both in the movie Blade Runner 1982. Mm -hmm. And Young actually wanted Hannah's role in this film, mm -hmm. but caused all sorts of issues, thus decreasing her own role. Because Kate Gecko is barely in this movie at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And Daryl Hannah's role lives on. So, but this little sequence of them and Bud gets to meet them also sets up Sir Wildman shows up. Great Because scene. he's not happy. No. And now you get to see like what the big dogs look like. And he has Bud, uh, Gecko's like, stick around. You're going to want to see this. And mm -hmm. so this is how it works with these mm -hmm. guys, the elite. Yeah. He got taken advantage of on the Anacott steel trade. Mm -hmm. And... He lost some money. Gecko had made money. And so he's there to make things right. He kind of recognizes Fox yeah. from the elevator a little bit, but little doesn't bit. really recognize him. Doesn't just, so it, yeah, it just plants that seed. Did I, yeah. Where did I, this I know is, that guy. That guy yeah. was awfully familiar. I had a bad day after I saw that guy. <laughs> did I put that together? Uh, yeah. It's really great. Yeah. Really great scene. Loved it. And then he has the gun. He's like, oh yeah. He has right. this gun collection, and they're squaring off. They're going to measure their dicks, and that's all that's yeah, going totally. on. Totally. But I like before he even shows up, Sir Wildman, played by a fantastic Terrence Stamp, and it might even be a 
Sir Terrence Stamp, for all I know, at this point in time. He's but great in I that. I love how it's that 1980s robot like serving drinks. It's like so <laughs> the times, you know. Do you want a vodka tonic? Yeah. Stupid robot. It's like this is so <laughs> perfect. It's just perfect. Yeah, I, I forgot. Love it. I, I can forgot watch about that the scene. robot. Yeah. Oh gosh. He planted a lot of that stuff. There's that's a common like thread. There is first you had the computer with the calendar or the day planner, and then you had the robot. And later in the movie, you had the little miniature TV. And yeah, well, he couldn't put these things in platoons, so he was sitting on them and he was waiting. Yeah, there you go. The right, the right vehicle to thrust this uh, technology there you, into. There you go. So, and the conversation, you know, like uh, Norma Kamali and the paintings and. The whole phoniness and the money yeah. and the greed. Right. So <laughs> I love the next shot. This is a great shot. And I, and I remember reading, maybe it was the commentary I actually listened to of Oliver Stone. It's the shot of Gecko on the beach in the robe. Yeah. And it's calling Bud to wake up. And it's like, to me, Sean, it just says success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what does he say? Like money never sleeps. Is money never sleeps. Ne- money never sleeps. Hong Kong. Which gold. is also, unfortunately, the title of the dreadful sequel. Yeah. Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. But well, that's for a podcast yeah. uh, on another day and another network. Don't call me back for that. But, but I love the scene because it's also supposed to be daybreak. Mm-hmm. But I believe the commentary says this was a night shot. It was right at dusk. But it plays either way. Either way, it's pretty. Either way, it's a it's nice beautiful. Yeah. That's his life. And he's made it. And he's waking Bud up. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, buddy, this is it. Jump on it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's great. Love yeah, it. Yeah, like he's he's colliding like that, the whole ocean with money. And he'd been up all night slinging Hong Kong gold. And, you know, what are you doing to <laughs> totally. sleep? Hey, Bud, you're not supposed to sleep because money never sleeps. When you left the party, I got back to work. You went home and went to bed. But by the way, I just threw some money in your account. Have fun. Exactly. I'm going to make so you now, rich, Bud Fox, is what he says, by the way, before he gets off the phone. I'm pretty sure in that scene. Exactly. And now, so Bud has, he's seen it. He's been to the house. Mm-hmm. He's scratching it. Gecko is bringing him along. So now, you know, Sean, he needs info. And so he's got to go through the Rolodex. And so he goes to see James Spader to get him on board. And what's he do, Sean? Like, what's the purpose of hooking James Spader, who's an attorney in this movie? Oh, if you're looking for something specific, I just think he knows his audience there. But Fox, he's like, I'm going to go to this guy because I know he's in corporate finance attorney. Yep. His dad's a hotshot attorney, runs the firm involved. He knew, obviously, and they're college buddies. They go way back. And he probably knows James Spader's character is just as ambitious as he is. So much like Gecko sized up Bud Fox, he's sizing Roger up. Well, Bud also goes into total hustler mode because he sees where Roger works Mm -hmm. and he gets this great idea. By the way, it's a great idea and he executes it flawlessly. He goes to the cleaning service to help him expand so he can get access because he can get to files. So Bud is all in at this point in time. He's, He's sneaking in places, photocopying, whatever, getting intel. And Jason... Aren't you just rooting for Bud Fox at this point too? Oh, I know you're supposed absolutely. to. I know you're supposed to be feeling bad. Like this guy's throwing it. You know, it's just completely contrary to what the theme of the movie is. You're just. Dude, really we all love a rags to riches story. We all, and do. that's what Bud is. So come on, <laughs> maybe I we're all just it. compromised. Maybe that's what Oliver Stone was provoking in us. Like we're all kind of compromised because we're sitting there rooting us on and going, "Oh, you go to the old the Russian guy who owns the cleaning services and you invest in that, and then he's walking around with the." hat and the clipboard and 
Yep. The next, you know, the next, oh, yeah. the next scene, he's just wandering around the office, going through files, pulling up, like he says, lifeblood of companies. And he's quick on his feet too. That the one lady, the secretary, stays late. Mm. She catches him. He's like, "Oh, is this such and such as office?" Yeah. Like, you know, Buzz. Uh, you know, he, he's a he, he can he's a chameleon. I love it. He, I like Buzz. He was ready, you know? man. He was ready. No deer in the headlights when she walked in that office. No. He already had his his thing built out. And, and Sheen's doing a great job, I should say. Besides the character, Sheen is nailing this role. Yeah, he is. Really. He, is. he just is. He's like all shucks, but yet he's conniving and, and uh, he's perfect in this. We didn't role. touch enough on James Spader, though, in that. Oh, I, and we're not done with him. We bring okay. back to Spader. But listen, Spader plays that role like he. <laughs> He gets an Oscar for being in this movie for like five minutes. Yeah. He's perfect. He's reluctant. He's the good guy. What's he talking about? His wife and their place in Oyster Bay. Yeah, What's yeah. her name? I think Margie or Margie. She's got you a know, place in Oyster Bay. She's doing all right. And he's just yeah. so smug. You know, he's perfectly smug. So smug. But he's, well, no one's more smug than James. Yeah, Bay. he's perfectly smug and he's a climber. He's just putting the hours in and. You know, one day it's going to be. So what are we talking about, bud? Let me walk you out because I'm interested, but I'm going to act like I'm not interested. Right. He's totally He planted that seed because he knew he was going to. And then, you know, he's all in. He wants more. His wife's not working, probably. He's the breadwinner. But hey, a chance to make some more bread. Everyone's trying to get ahead. This is the age. But here's what's crazy about it, too, because you know his setup. Like, obviously, he's well-educated. His dad has a firm down on Wall Street or whatever. He's doing business with banks down on Wall Street, putting mergers together for the legal end. He's got a future, and it's going to be a very good future financially for him. What does he do? He just starts getting involved in some shady shit for just extra money. Doesn't need the money. Yep. Doesn't sound like he needs the money. Fast tracking, man. He, but he doesn't even need to really fast track because his, his destiny is already set. Stay at that company. You're going to take over your dad's law firm or whatever. You're, yep. you're fast tracking to, to partnership anyway. So I just think it's just greed. Like, oh, well, you know, you that's the, the theme of this entire film. It I is. Straighter fed right into it. He's driving it home for sure, but. And God, that character is so great. So now you have a scene and this is now when the little bit of romance that there is between Bud Fox and Darian Taylor begins to happen. And, and this scene really cracks me up. He's sharing his dream, Bud mm-hmm. Fox is, about riding his motorcycle mm-hmm. across China. And he and Darian, to me, Sean, they just seem like they're coked They're up. coked up. I'll, I'll take you public. Yeah. You know, it's like these guys yeah, are so... Just- Drinking the Kool-Aid and literally coked up. Yeah, coked up. And drinking wine. But they're enjoying their success. And gum and they're, enjoy- they're enjoying their success. Yes, they're enjoying their success, which is good to see. It doesn't hurt the story. No, it, it helps feed mm-hmm. Bud's you know, through line. So I, I don't think it's a departure at all. And it's just enough, just a little, just a hint. Mm-hmm. And then we're back on track. And now we're seeing- Just a bump, if you will. Yeah, just a little bump, literally. Nice on the nose there. On the nose. (laughs) So I like this next shot because rather than talking about it, we actually see Blue Star airplanes in the flesh. And that's a nice touch because we never had to see them. But to see Bud go there to a bay and see Pops and the crew on an actual airline that says Blue Star, I thought it was very authentic. And I liked it. And he's and busting chops with realism. the two. They're all busting each other's balls. Oh, hey, it's the totally. bozos who keep the planes in the sky. And oh, I forget what they say. It's a great scene. I love it. And I love that Carl Martin Sheen immediately tells more to Bud. 
You know, literally, Sean, Carl needs to share less with his son at this point in time because he lays <laughs> some more stuff on him right in and now. Ah, they got my, yeah. you know, they're going to cut things and they got the union. So he's laying all this knowledge and mm-hmm. Bud soaking it up, soaking it up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good scene. You should, we should tell the audience that that was our grandfather, Jack Miller. Was a, oh, well, he was absolutely. a he was a Carl himself in New York, and then transferred to Tulsa, but working on airplanes just like that mechanic American back in those days. Airlines, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's why our family migrated to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. They would have stayed in New York, but the, yeah, he yeah. got the promotion to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and an Irishman, literally from Ireland. World War II, yeah, absolutely. And actually had a heart attack at work at the airline. Yeah. But he was also in coal mines as a youngster. His uh, lifespan was probably not supposed to be very long. But yeah, he was Carl. Then they didn't live the healthiest lifestyles. That generation. No, that generation did not. (laughs) Cigarettes were introduced. uh, Yeah. Smoking and drinking were a requirement in life. Cholesterol was non-existent. But anyway... I digress, but yeah. But yeah, a good mention there. Nice shout out. Rest in peace, that, Jack Miller. But that seems great when he shows up to the mechanic shop and the work. And oh, those, those so guys good. are working away, and Carl's just having a tough day because he's dealing. Ah, with, the he's, union's got he's my nuts union in a sling. Union drama. He's dealing with drama. And so now he had to lay off a few guys, and it just kills Carl. Yeah, man, he's a lifer. He loves his job. But Bud brings some good news to him. Here, I'm going to give you some money back, and here's a dividend. Hey, a little payback, yeah. yeah, and gives him a lot of money back. He's flush. Bud's but doing Carl doesn't good. give a shit. He's like, what is this? No. Doesn't brighten yeah. his day. No, could care less. Yeah. That money's going right home. Give to the wife. It's going to go in like a coffee can, isn't it? it? It's going to go in a coffee can. Coffee can. Oh, you know it's in a Folgers can. Yeah. You know it is. <laughs> Grandkids tuition. Yeah. You know, it's, it's down the road. He kicked it to the curb. It's, it's down the road. Yeah. So now Bud gets a promotion. Goes back to work. Things are going good. He's got the Gecko account. He's Corner got office. the new office. Mm-hmm. He's got his own secretary, mm-hmm. Janet. A little trivia here. Played by Adele Lutz. Who was at the I know time it. and I know ex-wife mm-hmm. David Byrne? Yeah, yeah. Another tie-in to David Byrne and the Talking Heads to this movie. Who did not score the movie because it was Stuart Copeland? Did she? So, was she part of the Tom Tom Club? Well, I'd have to look that up. That I don't know. So now Bud, flush with some cash, is looking for a new place. And not just to rent. He's looking to buy. And I love Dolores the Realtor. Played by Sylvia Miles. Jason, he's looking to ditch the uh, exposed brick in the house plan, as uh, Darian would say. Yes, exactly. On the west side. And now Sylvia Miles, you may or may not know, she's one of the only people from Wall Street that went on to be in the sequel. True that. So is Bud Fox, you know, small role, and obviously Gordon Gecko. But that's it. There's your three people. And she looked about the same in the second, the sequel. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. But it's fantastic because I love that she's giving him a hard time. Like he's kind of thinking for a second and she's just, I can show you something cheaper. Mm-hmm. You know, she's on him, like, you know, just some old lady. And she's, the minute he agrees to buy it, she's trying to show him something more expensive. She's getting in on the greed too. It's the 80s. And it's she, everybody's and greedy. It's oh, money. you want this? Because I got something nicer <laughs> over down there. He's like, no, I'm good. This is it. This is yeah. it. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. So this leads to Bud's got the new place. Darian, if you didn't know this already, not you, but the audience, she's a designer. 
And that's how she's gotten her clients through Gordon. And so she's designed Bud's Place. And Sean, this is like another product of the times. Mm. You know, the art and the, the decor that she sets up, the coffee table that has holes in it so mm. you don't really think it's glass. It's like, I mean, the this to me is the epitome of, of that time. What was that? The glue on fake gold accents on the thing. Totally. But what do you think? Do you think that... This movie was filmed in, let's say, 86, if it was released in 87, yep. whatever. Yep. But that was passable as good interior design. But, you know, Oliver Stone was just fucking with the audience going, look how absurd this is. Seeing well, this I think is- it was a movement that happened at that time. Obviously, that's not timeless. Like, we're, <laughs> we didn't have timeless taste. And Darian was just so eccentric. Right, and Jason. you saw some of that, like the the go. Like what was those images on the wall of like uh, the skeleton people? Like she just pushed boundaries because there was no pushback from Bud Fox. And you're right; it was a movement. It was extra money flying around. It's gonna have to find a home somewhere, and everybody's an interior designer. All of a sudden, they're throwing this shit up, and it's a bunch of bullshit. You know, it's just people yes. getting in on a grift, getting in on some extra money flying around. But what I'm seeing is, well, she was greedy. Darian was greedy. Yeah, she was. But you know? so. Okay, so, but hold on a second. I think Oliver Stone is like throwing it in the audience's face and look how absurd this is, like painting yeah. on gold. Because you just said how tacky it is. It only looks tacky to people in hindsight. You know, in retrospect, you look back going, God, I can't believe that was passable for... It was cutting edge. Cutting edge. Time. But I think when Oliver Stone filmed the movie to put that in there, just showed how it's just stupid money. And this is what people are blowing their money on is, is tacky interior design. That's passing for, you know, something which back in 1986, that was kind of normal, but I think maybe he was just seeing through it going, that's not normal. This is retarded. Yeah. So now we have this like yuppies make dinner scene and buds (laughs) on top of the world. And this scene is hilarious from his outfit to the way they kind of coexist together. Like they make making dinner, you know, a five-hour thing. Yeah. They're making they're the playing pasta, with all their new they're toys. doing this. They're, yeah, they are in the sandbox now playing with all these new funny things. And so it's just indulgence. What's on the dinner menu? We got sushi. We got pasta. We got, what else is it? There's like five different things. None of it is similar, yeah. you know, they, in the wine. They, the wine's eat it. they just want to make it. They just want to like, if there was Instagram, this entire scene, oh. uh, they would have been capturing it on Instagram because they more good did point. it to say they did it. Yeah, good point you know? there, Jason. This is Instagram before Instagram was. Well, before. Yeah, it's yeah, overindulgence. It didn't matter. Uh, and they even you know, say it in the scene. a little bit of the good life. She even says it in the scene. Isn't it just perfect? Yeah. You don't want to eat it or something like that. Exactly. They're not, That's doing, who it, they they're are. not doing this to eat it and, and it's just making it look pretty to f- make their lives more fulfilled, I guess. I don't know. But. Which to me, all I see is two pretenders oh, totally. playing in a place that they don't really belong. They didn't earn. And guess what? They may not be here very long. It's how I see it. It goes back to that scene too, where they're having dinner and I'm going to drive my motorcycle across the world. And I want exactly. And I want to do for interior design, what Lauren Ashley did for sweaters or whatever she says. I'll take and you public. Because, oh, great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, totally. yeah, I got to go run to the bathroom again and do another bump. But you got two kids here that are making some dough, but it's not that world. They're not part of that, this world. No. And they're trying. No, they so want to be. Yeah. They're spending that money to try to buy their way in, but they're not part of that world. What they should have been doing is stocking that money away. Yeah. But very fleeting. So anyway, yuppies have dinner scene. Hilarious. Yeah. So now we learn 
throwaway thing or not, we learn that Gordon and Darian have a past. Mm-hmm. And it's a little, you know, it's over Bud's head. He doesn't need to know this, but this is why Darian has a career. And I'm not surprised or shocked when what, even the first time I saw him, like, yeah, I didn't blink twice. It's obvious. Her. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And he, I, and he totally uses agree. her. He uses her. She's a pawn. Dangle Darian to Bud or whoever is working for him at the time. I had a little respect for Darian here because she wanted it kept secret, yeah. private from Bud. That's cool. You know, she really is a building a, a fondness for Bud because he's an up and comer and they're kind of from probably uh, humble beginnings, I would say. I'm mm-hmm. assuming Darian was as well. And so, yeah, it's a little throwaway thing. Take it or leave it. But I, I like that sequence and I'm glad they put it in there and just kind of connected that dot for us. Yeah, it's cool, too, because and you can tell in that sequence. Yeah. Well, Gordon Gecko, he is part of that world. He's a player in that world. He's at the auction buying million dollar art. And he wants to go get a hotel at the Carlisle with Darian and they're looking at watches. He's part of that world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He is now. He belongs. Because Gordon didn't used to be, but he belongs. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely belongs, and he wears it well. Mm-hmm. So now this leads to Gordon Gecko's "Greed is Good" speech, mm-hmm. which what I read about, and you spoke his name earlier, was inspired by Ivan Bosky's speech. It's, I think it's Bosky. I might have pronounced it wrong earlier. Yeah. I, I've always said I it's Bosky. And so it's his speech at the University of California's commencement ceremony in 1986. And in his speech, Bosky said. Greed is all right, by the way. I want you to know that. I think greed is healthy. You can be greedy and still feel good about yourself. So, you know, Stone took that and turned it into this great speech, which, by the way, this is the speech that puts Michael Douglas over the top for the Oscar. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to have that moment in the movie. And like, this was the defining moment. And it's a great speech. The whole I'm scene's sure you great. Enjoyed the, yeah, the whole scene. It's is the amazing. bloated bureaucracy, corporate. It's the shareholder meeting, which yep. you know, grandma's there. Every shareholder you can think of is in the is in the audience, and and it was a big monologue too. I remember reading like Douglas was intimidated by how yeah. much dialogue because he's that's a long monologue, and that room is full of people, actors or not. That's a big audience. Mm-hmm. It's wonderfully done. And I just, uh, it's a great speech. Right then and there. It's amazing. Amazing. And so, and it wasn't as passive as Boski. I'm glad that they just went heavier with it. Greed is good. You know, I, I just love it because it was wreckable. I mean, Gordon has that fire in him and he's a yeah. great villain. That's what makes it great. But for a villain, you sure are rooting for him throughout the movie. At least I was. Well, hey, sometimes you root for the villains, right? Yeah. I mean, Darth Vader is pretty cool. So, yeah, I, I like a good villain. That's a great speech. It's a great speech. It's great. a great monologue, and it's a great scene. And that's a turning point in the movie, too. Yeah. The movie takes a different turn, a different pace altogether, once they're in the air on that private jet, and he pitches them the uh, deal on the, the part Blue Star. Yeah. Well, so to that point, Bud is getting cocky, and he's really pushing Blue Star in this private jet scene. And Gecko's like, you know, whatever. I look at deals all day long. You know, this guy's really hot and heavy. This kid wants me to buy an airline. Yeah. You know, Gordon's not going to rush into something unless he sees the score. He knows the score. 
And the last thing Gordon is interested in is hard work. <laughs> right. He's not buying. Totally. He's not buying companies on an honest in an honest nature. That's going to take work and sort it out. And he sees inefficiencies and all that stuff that make mergers and acquisitions, mergers and acquisitions, and profitable and all that stuff. He's looking for a quick buck. And you know, if the audience hasn't figured out yet that he didn't make, he's not flying in that jet based on hard work. Maybe in the case of Teldar Paper, some tells me he got involved in something where he saw some edge in Teldar Paper, but now he's in. A quagmire and he can't get out he's got he's in for the duration on that one but what piques his interest to side with bud fox in the plane to the idea of blue star as soon as he says overfunded pensions and that's when gordon thinks to himself okay there's my edge there's something i can go after there that's it i know the you score know. i no matter what i got value and i can right. do whatever it takes yeah, exactly yeah. exactly he's not going to do bud a favor he's got to see the angle right that's who he is. Exactly. I get it. Although I think partly he kind of wants to explore Bud and what is it really, and maybe kind of he's his protege. I'll hear throw him, him a out, bone, right? Throw him a throw bone. him a bone. What is this? And so that leads me to this scene with Blue Star, which you know it's got Carl, his father, it's got some other heads and heads of the union and different people. But I love how it's at Bud's place, and you got Derry in there. It's like that. Uh, kind of impractical. That meeting would probably go down somewhere else, but I didn't for like the, the sake of the movie, it's good. I didn't like that. It's a one scene I just did not like out of the whole movie. I don't know why. It wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad well, scene. I, but, but it's it, an important scene. It's an like important it scene, but, but it's the fact that it's at their stupid place and it's... Well, I, did, I call BS on Carl that. shows okay. up in his bowling jacket and there's no lawyers there and it's not a... You know, and what are you going to Well, there a, is a lawyer there and there, he kicks... Takes the, a walk around the block a couple hundred times. Curb. Right. Yeah. But I'm saying, and here you got a broker with these charts and this pamphlet on the five-point plan on how they're yeah. going to run an airline. Not going to happen. That's not going to happen there. But I think that... Stone was like, do we do this in another boardroom? We've already had some scenes like this. Mm -hmm. So I can get why they did it. And it really highlighted back to what we talked about earlier, their apartment, the gaudiness, mm -hmm. the times. He really got to highlight his creation with their apartment. Maybe it was to contrast Carl walking in the door and just pissing in the Kool-Aid, you know, like. Oh, man. Talk about doomsday. He just brings it in. Yeah, he's just he brings in a dose of reality to everybody. I think that might have been why he placed that scene like he did. And I think it's a good scene in the sense that, listen, like it or not, I like it, but you have Martin Sheen and Michael Douglas. This is it. This is mm -hmm. their one encounter in the entire movie. These, you know, these power actors and, and they're very different places in this movie. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was a great moment just to see them even just shake hands. It mm -hmm. didn't last long. And it's hilarious to see Bud in his pitching. Mm. You know, he takes it away. He's so cocky. He's we're gonna take on the majors. We're gonna take he's so yeah. cheesy in his so cheesy, but perfectly done. Because that that needed to be cheesy. Some tells so, me Carl's not approving of his son's place in life at this point with no. the girlfriend and gecko in the apartment, especially the apartment. And when they hand him the plate of sushi that he drops through the table. It looks like glass. There's no glass. And, and mm -hmm. then of course, Darian says, Oh, Bud does that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Smart, smart was red wine last night, but Hey, you can afford a new rug. Cause it's just Bud's money. It's all pretend. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Right. Don't That's fix ridiculous. it. Ridiculous. Cause it's art. You could, you couldn't pay me to have that stupid coffee table, let alone spend 10 K on it or whatever the hell it costs. Yeah, for sure. So now this 
meeting this scene really starts to spiral this movie to another mm-hmm. level. It's no longer the gears are, you know, it's a different movie entirely. The train's coming off the tracks. Yeah. And so I love how Bud now visits a very spooked James Spader <laughs> yeah. because he was visited by the feds, I guess, sniffing around. Mm-hmm. And of course, Bud comes in with sunglasses, coked up. too cool for school, <laughs> totally coked up. Like, hey, man, they got nada. They got nothing. Okay, cocky guy. Like right. you've been here Everybody's forever. dealing it. You've been here for five saying? minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you've been a hot shot for five seconds, dude. Chill out. Right. Absolutely nothing to worry about, Bud Fox, right? Then, you know, this guy's got law school, his whole law, everything. He's got a lot more to lose than Bud Fox, I think. So that's why he's a little exactly. bit more he's a exactly. little bit more scared. He knows laws. He's a lawyer. He knows laws. So well, he's married. He's got like you said, his, his future is defined. This could only you know. Ruin but again, that, so. son tells me James Bay's character, his money and his career mean more to him than probably Margie out in Oyster Bay. So right. I think he's concerned because he knows law. He's a lawyer and he has a lot to lose. But this sequence leads to. Really an incredible moment of a reality check for Bud Fox, who's never the same. He kind of happens to be there when Spader's called yeah. in to the meeting because his own firm is doing the what the deal for Blue Star. And this sheds light on it all. I mean, the honeymoon is over. So what happens here? They the lower the boom. Goes down. They lower the boom. They're in there in a due diligence meeting or whatever. It's finance and they got bankers there that are. I don't know what they're doing, to be honest with you. Basically, what they're saying is the company's going to get busted up and it's going to go through a leveraged buyout and he's going to keep the overfunded pensions is basically what it turns out to be. And being naive as Bud Fox is and altruistic as he thinks he may be, you know, he gets a big dose of reality right then on the spot. And that's uh, yeah. There, there's some great lines as well. Like Gecko's going to make X amount, and yeah. Bud, you're like the what the, the fastest CEO or something. As they're what fading out, as they're fading out of the scene, you can hear him chattering back there. Yeah, since that, uh, you know, since that Archduke of I think he's talking about Franz Ferdinand or whoever who got blown away uh, that started World War One or whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> you can just barely hear it as he's trailing out of there. Yeah. Bud is a man without a country. This is it. It's over. The honeymoon is over. He knows Blue Star is going down. Bud has, well, he feels horrible because he's still got a conscience and feelings. Mm-hmm. He's let the entire airline down. It's over. His father, everybody he grew up with, it's done. And so he's got to choose sides. And now, Sean, what I noticed was it's not like he even thought twice about it. His allegiances were with the airline. Immediately. I mean, I thought that was one thing that bothered me when I saw it in the theater when it first came out. I was like, oh, wow. He doesn't even want to like go with Gecko on this. Like it's over. He knows that he's going to go confront him, which leads to a great scene, but he knows it's over. And I always thought, oh, I thought they maybe he would have tried. And but no, you know, I always was like and I was younger then. I mean, you just change your thoughts and stuff, but old being still part of me is like, you know, who cares? You're, you're still going to make a ton of money. That's what you got into this thing to begin with in the first place. Did you yeah. really, what are your qualifications to be a CEO of an airline? Zilch. You're a broker. None. You're going to be a broker to make a lot of money on wall street. And now you got a shot to make a lot of money on wall street. Your dad's just going to have to deal with that. And he could have paid his dad off. He could yeah, have given he done lots of money things. and called it a day. Sorry, dad, you raised me, you know? Yeah. So yeah. 
Well, he wanted it all. He wanted it all. He wanted this perfect thing, and mm-hmm. it wasn't meant to be. So, yeah, you're right. He could have just went along with the mm-hmm. ride, but he that wasn't any. And it makes for a more compelling movie that what happens happens. Mm-hmm. But I'm with you. I think that that to me it was always such a dramatic turn. I thought, wow, we're kind of missing some scenes because Bud walks out of there dejected, but it's like immediately Gecko's the enemy. Yeah, and, and that was interesting. <sighs> And it just becomes awfully convoluted after this. And it's kind of like Oliver Stone, and it's still great. I'm not taking anything away from the movie, but he's tying up a lot of loose ends to finish the film up after this, right. all this right. goes down. Yeah, where it's kind of like, but be happy. Like, make the money. There could have been a different way maybe to end it where lessons get learned or something. But yeah. I think that he was going to try to, you know, sew it all up with the whole final yeah. scene. I don't want to put any spoilers out there as we're working through this, but. Well, it's a 1987 movie. I think it's okay to have spoilers. Out there. Oh, <laughs> I mean, as far as the podcast go, and, and even if they haven't seen it yet, ideally they would see it before they listen to a podcast about said movie. But oh. hey, whatever. You're saying we whatever. can't sell it to them. We can't hype it up <laughs> enough. Uh, oh yeah, is that what, yeah, that's the role we're hyping? That's up. what I yeah. thought you had me on here for. Was to, oh, no, we're but, here. We're here to make you fall in love with that movie. But yet. I don't know. I don't know if that makes me bad or not. But thinking about how you know, no. all, all along I was just like, who, you know, you got in this to make money, and here you're going to make it. Yeah, this is it. You're going to be able to ride your motorcycle across the world. Yeah, you can take Darian's thing public. Yeah, but nope, nope. So then there's this melodramatic breakup scene with Darian, which leads to finding out that Bud's dad, Carl, is in the hospital. Mm-hmm. All this kind of happens coincidentally, you know, whatever, Bud's dead. We already set up the fact that he smokes a lot and he shouldn't, his cholesterol is high and all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. So it's a little movie moment. Basically, you know. Bud Fox put his dad in the hospital. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, what I did like about this exchange, which it was a powerful scene. I mean, like it or not, the setup, it is a powerhouse of an actor, Martin Sheen, in the hospital. And Charlie Sheen, was tapping into some of the real emotions from mm-hmm. his dad's real-life heart attack that happened while filming Apocalypse Now. I didn't know that. The infamous Francis Ford Coppola movie. Yeah. No, he really had a heart attack, and the family went to go visit him. And like I read Emilio Estevez's book and his account about this. There was a very similar moment, so he tapped into that. And this scene is actually really well done. It's a tender moment, yeah. And whatever needed to be said, because, oh, we didn't talk about they had a serious blow up after the meeting at Bud's apartment yeah. in the elevator. Mm-hmm. And that was a great exchange. They're screaming at each other right. in the elevator. Yeah, they have it and out. So they have it out. They have it out. And they probably had it out in real life many times. So that was its own scene. Yeah, they were they were letting some things out in that scene and it was good to see. And those were their last words before he went, lands in the hospital. After he finds out that his son got him in a situation, he's going to lose the uh, airline. Then he has a heart attack. Exactly. <laughs> so in there, he asks his father if he can speak to the board and his words, not his. And so, yeah, it's nice. It's it's not cheesy. It's not melodramatic. It's a great moment. And you know, Bud Fox, you know what team he's on. Mm-hmm. He's on Team Blue Star. He's not on Team Gecko anymore. GG. That's over. So Bud goes back into, I like to call it hustler mode. To save the airline and not to save the airline, Sean, but to crush Gecko. Mm-hmm. That's the plan. And how does he do that? Well, you're going to need someone like Sir Wildman to pull this off. Because Wildman's got a lot more money than Gecko has. And he's already been burned, which is also nice about the script. He's got all the motivation in the world. All the motivation. And we've already set it up. He's been burned. So it's 
perfect. So this leads up to a great scene in Gecko's office and kind of speak to that scene when the, when the board comes in and things are kind of spinning out of control. So maybe tell the listeners like what's going on and how is Gecko getting burned exactly? Yeah. So he's long all his stock in Blue Star because he's going to take the company over and he's going to tender and he's going to do the uh, garage sale, as they say. And it, all this time he's been accumulating the stock and, and he's sitting on a ton of it. And, you know, the news is out that the deal is going to be falling apart and the unions aren't going to be signing up for it. And here's Bud Fox sending out rumors on the trading floor and he's calling up, you know, Blue Horseshoe, whoever that is. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott still. <laughs> exactly. I love, I love that part. I love it. So he's just. That should be your ringtone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's basically. You know, and here's the other thing. Is he manipulating the stock? I guess a little bit, but at the same time, the union reps are out there spreading rumors and they're not going to sign up for it and the deal's going to fall apart. And that's causing the stock to go lower. And at some point, Gecko's just going to have to cut his losses. And then they have Stamp there, uh, Wild Men. Wait, afterwards, yeah. So Bud Fox, you know, great scene when it goes, Gecko's standing in that front of that big window in his office and I am losing millions. And he, you know, he's screaming at Bud Fox on the, uh, through the phone and and he said, the, he says, I don't remember what the stock price was. He goes, as your broker, I advise you to take it. And he dumps the stock and he's not happy. It was, a, it was a, one of the toughest days he's ever had. And the light on the window goes from light to dark. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. Like, Oh, wow. That's nice. The sun's going down on Gecko's ass, basically. And Wildman, though, why he got in bed with him. Wildman's waiting in the wings to scoop up some stock. And so... Later that evening, Gecko's sitting in his office at home, knocking scotches back because he had a rough day. And just to add some salt in the wound, he's watching the nightly business news and he sees Sir Larry Wyman and his nemesis face splashed across. He's going to come in and buy Blue Star after all. So, And so what we didn't talk about earlier, Wildman was really trying to build another company, was Anacott Steel. Mm-hmm. Right? So he was trying to build that and Gecko got him and, and did his corporate raider and made money and profited and people lost jobs. So Fox went to Wildman because he knew that he actually cares about his investments and he would also see the upside in an airline and Blue Star and also getting Gecko in the process. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like another corporate raiders coming in here. Fox knows that Wildman will do right by Blue Star. Like we said, it was a nice, tidy little package and plenty oh, of motivation. Super tidy. Yeah. Super tidy. <laughs> it was all on a silver platter. All he needed was the bucks of Sir Larry Wildman to uh, put it all together. And, and that's what it was. You know, not to get too lost in the details of the trade and the, and the scheme that went down to pull it off, but that's kind of what it was. Gecko held a bunch of Blue Star stock. It went lower because of Bud Fox behind the scenes. And then uh, he dumped a stock and winds up selling to Sir Larry Wildman. I bet you, I'm sure Larry Wildman was the bid on the other side of that stock that Gecko wind up selling to. Yeah, I agree. I would say that Fox is a very fitting name for this character. How very so? wise and cunning and oh, like a yeah. fox. Yeah. You know, he's clever mm-hmm. and this is resourceful. And this is what he did. He, he went on this ride, found himself, screwed up, saved it. But Bud wins, Gecko loses, but... Bud is going to jail for insider trading. And I love, Sean, that the feds pick him up, not at home and, and not out getting a coffee. But they come right to the office and cuff him in front of everybody. 
I guess that's how it went down. And apparently that's true stuff. Like back then they would hold them out right out of the right out of the office. Yeah. Which is awesome. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And he's starting to cry because that I mean, here's a guy that, you know, everyone's got an ego and everyone looks at him and he's the last guy to know. Again, he's the last one to show up to work. He walks in and his secretary's even just like, Oh yeah. Uh, Somebody die. Uh, yeah. You died. Yeah. 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 Hey, you know, Jason, you. And, and here's something too about this is that you remember Stockwatch? you know, they're the surveillance, uh, right. Trading surveillance. They're always lurking in these scenes. Like they'll do quick right. shots of these two nerds sitting around reading. Oh yeah. These yes. printouts of stock transactions that look suspicious. Which was, and, and, and by the way, Stockwatch is a real thing. I don't think it's around anymore. It's been replaced by FINRA and all these other things. But Stockwatch was part of New York Stock Exchange that would monitor suspicious trading and alert yeah. authorities. And but they're lurking. You know what I mean? Here we got a, It yeah. looks like we got a guy at Jackson Steinem who's buying large blocks at Teldar Paper and parking it in an offshore account. You know and yep. And then they show the part with the plot to save Blue Star. Just it's kind of funny. Like you're anticipating there's some legal problems headed Bud Fox's way. Just the, oh, by yeah. the fact that there's a trail. Yeah, the trail but, headed right to him. And if you don't, but, if you can't figure it out, he's just throwing stock watch scenes in there just so to let yeah. you know that there's something coming up for Bud Fox. He's not going to be the white knight that he thinks he is. Well, and so what's he do? Well, give somebody up. He gives Gecko up, and Gecko loses again. This mm. leads to this great shot. I love the scene. It's dreary day, gray day. It almost looks like London. And it's a great shot of Central Park mm-hmm. and the big lawn. With the big and, lawn. But I love that they just walk out in the middle of nowhere in the rain and meet. And I always question why on earth does Gecko even meet with Bud in that setting? Like, there's no reason. Because he wanted to kick his ass. Like get one punch, he gets in. He, but he, he was pissed. Handkerchief. He, he well, was pissed, but he could have done it over a phone call. Yeah. Could have went to the club. But whatever. He punches him. He divulges some things. And then Bud walks to the tavern, tavern on, on green. green. Yeah. And he goes all the way in the restroom. And then you reveal he was wired. Yeah. Great moment. It's a great sequence. It's a beautiful scene in the park, though. Oh, it's rainy. It's Nobody's great. in the park. It's the middle of the day. It, oh, yeah. By the way, it's yeah, no one that's out there, which is so rare in New York City. Yeah. Even on a rainy day, they show all those beautiful uh, buildings in Midtown there on the uh, south side of the park. And it's just yeah. quintessential New York. It really is. He nails that. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then, really, we have this last moment in the movie. And it was always interesting to me that they're in this car. It's Carl. He's out of the hospital. He's driving now. Mm-hmm. And you have Bud in the car. And you also have Mrs. Fox, played yeah. by Millie Perkins, who, by the way, she looks like Bud's sister more than his mother in this scene. Quite young. Yeah. So Carl did pretty well. She doesn't have much to do, but he pulls up. He's going to go find parking, but he lets him out to go up the, you know, I guess City Hall. Is that where he's mm-hmm. headed to? He's headed to jail. <laughs> Well, but it's not jail yet. It's to uh, he's going no, he's, to court. Yeah, he's he's going to court. His legal yeah. problems are just beginning. But yeah. he found himself in the process. Yeah, back where he started. You run from who you are and who you're supposed to be, and it all comes full circle. So Bud's going to go to jail, but not as long as Gecko. And so, what happens to Bud Fox? Is he does he have any money left over from this whole thing? <sighs> you know, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say there wasn't. Fed much comes left. in, they take all the money. They're going to they're oh, taking this money. That's going to be gone. 
around because he sells. Remember, he sells the house. I mean, the uh, condo. Yeah, he, he does he sell does, the condo. And he has to sell it at a fire sale. Yeah, so I don't think he has. Darian's any gone. She's oh, got. She's well, they already broke up. I don't so think he's. What got, happens to him though? Does he have a job at Blue Star waiting for him? Well, he's definitely a uh, convicted, but I don't yeah, know. He's a, I yeah, mean, he's an ex But he got taped up and wired, and he cut a deal, I'm sure, and he probably got a misdemeanor. I don't think he serves jail time, if I was to guess, because he wore a wire and he brought down somebody higher than him, much higher, Gecko. That's true. He probably just got his life, his career was whitewashed, and he has to go on a different line of work. But uh, but you know what? Bud Fox will land on his feet. He will. That's what I'm going to say. He's a hard worker, and he's ambitious. Yep. He found himself again. I bet you anything, he buddies up with Wildman who works at Blue Star. There you I go. You. I yep. like it. That's this guy. That's this guy. And they both took down the gecko, Gigi. And yeah. I bet you anything, that's probably what happened. And Wildman seems like the kind of guy that would do something like that. Hook him up. Yeah. Like hey, you were there for me. Mm-hmm. You know these people. You're out of that racket. Come work for me. You made me yeah. a lot of money okay. with this Blue Star thing. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, and I got yeah, the, that's good. Not only, not only did you help me take down Gecko, you put his ass in jail on top of that. I mean, totally. He definitely owes him a bone. That's it. A I middle management it. job at Blue Star. And then I love when movies ended in the '80s because you know it's over, but it, it's really over when it says the end. And Bud <laughs> walks up the steps, and they roll into Talking Heads again. A little This Must Be the Place again. Yeah, what a great reprise for that. Mm-hmm. So what a great movie. Holds up so perfectly today. I mean, yes, it captures a different era, but the movie still works. Jeez, it does. Yeah. And it will always work because it's just that well done. It's a well-crafted tale. Rise and fall and greed and... You know, and every time I watch it, it's like, it's that type of movie. You put it on and no matter where it's at, you're just in for the ride. You know the beats, but you still wanted to see them play out. Sometimes hoping something different happens or you might see it a different way or mm-hmm. something you missed. Ah, oh, it's such Yeah, a you're right. You see a movie like this so many times and you think different, like we've probably touched on a few times, but this is the only way it could have been done. That I can think yeah. of. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen Bud Fox been a little bit more cavalier about, so what, you're going to bust up Blue Star, I'm going to walk away with a lot of money and maybe work a right. different ending that way. But this is what it is. And I like the scene. I mean, he pays his dues. He takes down Gecko. He goes to jail or maybe he goes to jail and, yeah. you know, he covers it all. And a lot of those guys did go to jail. I mean, they all did. Even the guys that made deals, it seemed like, wind up doing a little time. Now, Gecko, I know, went to jail for a long time because there is this dreadful sequel, but I think it's like 20 years later. So he he did some time. Now, it may have been like white collar time, but he did some time. It was tough time, but I think it was white collar. And I think from the sequel, it, it wasn't as long as you think it was. Like, it was like six years maybe or something. Okay. I don't think he did like a 20-year stretch, anything like that. Okay. But no sequel talk. And there you have it. You know, obviously, uh, Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, was fantastic. He was well-deserved of the Oscar. And so now I just got a little trivia. So Martin Sheen and Michael Douglas, who would team up in The American President in 1995, the Rob Reiner film written by Aaron Sorkin. And in that movie, Douglas played the president and Sheen played the chief of staff. Now, oddly enough, in 1999, Sorkin created the West Wing, of which Sheen played the president. So interesting that they met in this movie, and they would both go on to play the American president in two different things. 
So kind of a little tidbit, little something. And I've already did mention this one. Michael Douglas was also working on Fatal Attraction at the same time to avoid scheduling conflicts. Douglas would alternate between each film during the week. Interesting. So wow. Film a little bit of this and then go over there. That's pretty amazing. That's Douglas working. was on fire. Yeah. Man. I mean, big time. That is fascinating. <laughs> right. And they go out a character and then put a different costume on and go to a different character over there. Yeah, I didn't that's know impressive. that, Jason. That, that's impressive. And then Douglas modeled his performance after his friend, Pat Riley, who at the time was head coach of the L.A. Lakers, later the Knicks and the Miami Heat, but probably where he got the haircut idea or mm -hmm. the hairstyle idea, mm -hmm. the old Pat Riley slick back. Yeah. You know, not the typical Michael Douglas hair. He had it slick mm -hmm. back. That just worked perfectly. He wore it well. Gecko. Yeah. He wore it very well. A couple more things. Richard Gere, Warren Beatty, Al Pacino, James Woods, and William Peterson all turned down the role of Gordon Gecko. Wow. I mean, I can't imagine anyone else doing it, but just think about who some else? Of those oh, names see, Warren Beatty, Richard Gere, who else? Richard Gere, Warren Beatty, Al Pacino, James Woods, and William Peterson. It's, William it's Peterson gonna, from Television. Yeah, Island. no, for sure. But I, it's got to be uh, Douglas out of all of them. I can't. Oh, no. I mean, the, the yeah, ones. Douglas. They, but they turned it down to get to Douglas. So happy That's accident. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I can't see anyone else playing this role than Michael Douglas. And I know that's kind of a cliche thing to say because he nailed it and he won the best actor. And maybe if Warren Beatty or Richard Gere had done it or Al Pacino, sure. But it wasn't them. And Douglas, this is like a role of a lifetime for him. I will say this. Yeah. Put a gun to my head and tell me I got to cast one of the other ones and I can't take Douglas. I would have gone Richard Gere. And here's why. Yeah. He plays a good villain. I don't care for him when they try to sex symbol him back in the 80s and 90s. He was, no, talking he's a, American Gigolo American and Gigolo, Breathless. Breathless. He's really good. He was good in internal affairs. And get and, oh, and yes. I'm going to say a movie similar to this, but a little different, same subject matter, is Arbitrage, which came out a few uh, years back. Yes. And he yes. plays a bad guy in it. And he's yeah. damn good. So I could see him he's pulling. A good villain. He, I can see him doing well as Gordon Gecko if I had to choose a different one. So... Now Oliver Stone gave Charlie Sheen the choice of having either Jack Lemon or Martin Sheen play his father. Now we know what Charlie chose, but hey, Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon would have also been great. That would have been good to guy. see. I know. I can't. I mean, different vibe, but yeah. Lemon is like, no one is better than Lemon. I mean, Sheen and him are probably equal, but wow. That would have been a that, good That's one. good choices. Yeah. Being the blue-collar airline worker, Lemon could have pulled it he off. He would have been perfect yeah. in that. But Sheen was incredible. Yeah, so sure was. I almost wish that Lemon had been someone else. You know, like bring him in. <laughs> put like him on the trading floor. Star or, or put him in the office. Yeah, put him in the office. You know, give me some Jack That's Lemon. what I mean. Up on the trade desk. Put him in the office. That would have been good to have him. Yeah. Actually, hold on a second. You know what a good role Lemon would have been in? But it wouldn't have been a big enough role for him. You remember the guy that gets fired, the old man who just can't get his shit together? Yes. I'm talking about the guy that's like, all these new computers, and I don't know what's going on, and I got three divorces, and you know I have no equity in the firm. You remember that? And they, they're going to let him go? Yeah, but it wasn't probably, like you said, a big enough role for him, right. especially if he was going to be Carl. So it's like, uh, yeah, he probably passed. He exactly. may have been offered another role. Right. He wasn't going to take the guy that gets fired that has like two speaking parts in that thing. But he would have done it well. He would have done it very well. And my last little trivia, if you'll call it that, 
is so Gordon Gecko with his ruthless, cold-blooded pursuit of golden wealth makes him somewhat reminiscent of a bright yellow Vietnamese reptile, the golden gecko. Hmm. So maybe there's something there that Oliver Stone came up with the name. And hmm. I don't know. It was trivia that I saw. I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, really, I didn't even know there was a golden gecko. I had always wondered about the name myself. Well, there you go. There's a little little tidbits. So that's it, folks. That That covers Wall Street and... Does this make you want to see the movie again? You know, to go upstairs and get the DVD out and put it in, I've seen it so many times. But if it's on one of my channels, I'll definitely watch bits and pieces. I'm to I'm, I'm the point now where if it's on, I'll just go to the parts that really mean something to me. You know, I've just seen, I've seen it so many times. It's a long movie to sit through. I love so. that you have a DVD of it. That just speaks volume to yeah. your fanhood of the film. It's got a spot on the shelf along with some other golden oldies, but I've just seen the movie so many times. So, but I'm glad we could talk about it. And you liked it, you know, just as much as I did. It's a great movie. Fantastic. It'll always be there. To me, it's kind of the gold standard for these business movies. When you and I have had these conversations, we've had these conversations in the past about this genre of movies, but it's definitely the gold standard. I agree. I totally agree. And I love a great movie that can even outshine a bad sequel. I mean, Mm -hmm. Godfather 1 and 2 were never diminished by Godfather 3. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're just so strong. It's like, whatever, you can't tarnish it. And I'll say this too, as far as that being that gold standard, what you just said, Godfather 1 and 2 doesn't tarnish 3 or vice versa. It's just the gold standard. So it's like, I was exposed to this when I was a teenager. Well, actually, I take that back. I was in college. No, you were in college. Yeah, but still... Ever since then, when I see a movie that's similar to this, I'm intrigued. I'll just tune in all because you know I remember the thrill I got from that I get from Wall Street. So I'll tune into that movie Arbitrage by with with Richard our margin Harrison, call, especially which does margin a great call. Job. You know, a lot of that stuff is you know I have a career in, in some of that stuff too that lends to it, but it doesn't have to be market related. Movies about business and yeah. things. I think a big reason why I'm such a fan of Mad Men is that. You know, we had discussed this. It's just the deals they make and how the money gets made, how the sausage gets made, so to speak. So, and that's, and I owe a lot of that to Wall Street. Yeah. Well, there you have it. It was great having you on and maybe we'll bring you back for another movie. So thanks so much for listening and please be sure to subscribe, rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Let's Talk Movies or check out our other shows at justcuriousmedia.com. So without further ado, please enjoy Wall Street.